It's not the number. <laughs> you know that. Alhamdulillah. 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 الذي بعث في الأميين رسولا منهم يتلو عليهم آياته ويزكيهم ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة وإن كانوا من قبل لفي ضلال مبين وآخرين منهم لما يلحقوا بهم وهو العزيز الحكيم ذلك فضل الله يؤتيه من يشاء والله ذو الفضل العظيم وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده بلا شريك وبلا شبيه وبلا مثيل وبلا وليد وقل الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا وأشهد أن سيدنا وعزيزنا وحبيبنا وقرة عيوننا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم فإن تولوا فقل حسبي الله لا إله إلا هو عليه توكلت وهو رب العرش العظيم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فنعم المولى ونعم الوكيل أما بعد Dear committed Muslims أيها المؤمنون this week, the Muslims are conscious of the fact of the Prophet's birth. He was born during this week, the month of Rabi' al-Awwal. There are some 
differences as to the exact day historical narratives indicating that the followers of the Prophet really don't know the exact day in which he was born. Of course, each narrative insists that they know the exact day. Whether it's the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal or it's the 17th of Rabi' al-Awwal, this is one of the issues that we're going to have to live with. Unlike many who belong to the Christian faith who insist that Jesus was born on the 25th of December and it is Christmas for them, even though the Quranic definite final word on it was it wasn't during the time of this month the month of December but they are united more or less there are others who celebrate Christmas almost two weeks after the first celebration of it so there's a division there as to whether it is in December or whether it is in January but the reality of the Muslims today besides trying to pinpoint the exact day in which our beloved Prophet may Allah peace and blessings be upon him was born the issue the reality of the issue is whether to celebrate or commemorate the birth of the Prophet or whether not to do so. These are the two facts of life. There are some Muslims who may be aware that the Prophet was born on the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal but they choose not to make that day a special day in their life and there are other Muslims who choose to make that day a special day in their calendar these are the facts that we are living with now let's visit some of the explanations for these two attitudes first we will take those who celebrate and commemorate the prophet's birthday so how do they support their position from the quran they refer to an ayah in Surah Yunus السلام, in which the ayah says قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا هُوَ خَيْرٌ مِمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ Say with Allah's 
privilege and bounty and with his mercy in reference to that to Allah's privilege to us his fadl and birahmatihi his mercy or grace to us concerning these two issues we should express our happiness huwa khayrun mimma yajma'un it is best better than what they are accumulating for those who accumulate the wherewithal of worldly life. So Allah, per this ayah, this is a Quranic ayah, the reference here is to an ayah from Allah's book. And to understand an extended meaning of, of this ayah, another ayah in the Quran refers to Allah's Prophet as Rahmah Lil'alameen a mercy and a grace to all the worlds وَمَا the ayah says وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ we've sent you we have but sent you as a mercy to all peoples to all habitats to all worlds. So if the Prophet of Allah is a Rahma from Allah, then this ayah in Surah Yunus, قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا هُوَ خَيْرٌ مِمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ So Allah is telling us per this ayah, we should delight at Allah's mercy. We should be happy because Allah is extending His mercy to us. And if that mercy is in the person of Allah's Prophet, we should be happy about Allah's Prophet. So this is a Quranic explanation for commemorating the Prophet's birth. We go to the hadith literature. One of the hadiths, the Prophet was asked, you fast very frequently on Mondays. Why is that? The Prophet's re response was, لِأَنِّي فِيهِ وُلِدْ Because on it, meaning on that day, on Monday, I was born. So the Prophet, in a sense, is commemorating his own birth, as understood from this hadith. So now we have an ayah, we have a hadith, and then we have from the precedence of the Sahaba, we have a statement by Sayyidina Umar when on his initiative he told the Muslims to assemble in the masjid during the nights of Ramadan even though this was not done in the time of Allah's Prophet.
pay attention to this. Omar, in his ijtihad, wanted the people to congregate in the masjid during the nights of Ramadan. Focal to that is Salat al-Taraweeh. This was not done during the time of Allah's Prophet. So when he was asked, how did he comment about that? He said, these are Omar's words and I wish they could ring in the heads of these people in the Arabian Peninsula who try to monopolize him and champion him without thinking about what they are saying and doing. So how did Omar comment on what he did or what he instructed or encouraged to be done during the nights of Ramadan? He said, which was not done during the time of the Prophet, he said, Ni'matil bid'ah, which means this is a positive bid'ah. Ni'mat al-bid'ah. Now this word bid'ah has a vocabulary. Actually it has books that are constructed around it. And all of these books, they neglect this statement because it's going to implode their mindset when he says ni'mat al-bid'ah it's a good innovation it's a good addition to the islamic body now that's a quick summary or explanation of those who commemorate the birth of the Prophet of Allah. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him. Now we go to those who are in opposition to this. They take an ayah from the Quran in Surah Al-Ma'idah. The ayah says, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينًا They used, now I don't know, I visited the meanings of this ayah and I don't know how they extend it, even though they quote the ayah, how they extend it to exclude celebrating or commemorating the Prophet's day of birth. Okay, the ayah says, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ Today, I have completed your deen for you. وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي And I have finished off providing you with my bounty. Okay, so what does that have to do with remembering the Prophet's birth or commemorating the Prophet's birth. What does this ayah have to do with that? But because, like we said many times before, they just can't think. 
They can't relate the meanings of the ayah to the real world. How does that? Ex- how does this ayah exclude us from honoring the Prophet's day of birth? How does it do it? In their mind, it does, but I guess in the average mind, you can't figure it out. Now they come to the Sunnah, the Prophet's hadith. They take the hadith that says, "Iyakum wa muhdathatil umur, fainna kulla muhdathatin bid'a, wa kullu bid'atin dalala, wa kullu dalalatin finnar." It's a hadith that they never tire of repeating. It says, "I caution you." The Prophet, they tell us, the Prophet is saying. I caution you pertaining to innovative issues in the deen because innovated issues or contrived issues are innovations and every innovation leads you astray and every stray direction leads to the fire okay so how do they this hadith can be understood this we're not knocking down the general meaning of the hadith if someone comes to what is called in islamic fiqh a tawqifi matter meaning all the muslims agreed that salat al-dhuhr is four rak'at Someone comes and says, I'm going to pray six rak'at, or I'm going to pray one rak'at, or whatever. He adds or he subtracts from the four. That's a bid'ah. This is where it applies. Okay, we understand that. But how do they extend this to say that if we remember our Prophet on the day of his birth, in lectures sermons, um, congregations, getting together, learning from what he offered us in his lifelong struggle, how does that become a bid'ah? We can't live with him. The, The sahaba who were with him lived with him and honored him through their lives. But if we can't live with him, the least we can do is remember him. And is remembering him becoming an innovation, misleading all the way to the flames of the fire? Is that how they understand these things? (laughs) Furthermore, they try to substantiate their point of view by saying as far as their reading of history of course they have a selective reading but in their reading of history the commemoration they tell us began during the Fatimi rule of Egypt when the Fatimi dynasty was ruling in Egypt for those who are not very familiar it's an offshoot of Ismaili Shia Islam When they were ruling in Egypt, they began this official or formal celebration of the Prophet's birth. 
And so these opponents of honoring the Prophet on his day of birth, they said in all of the three or four hundred years before that, no one was doing this. So they attribute this to some type of innovation which they throw into the ballpark of Shia Islam and so they wash their hands of the whole affair. No, we can't remember the Prophet on this day. Or if we do, it has to be done personally, meaning you keep it to yourself. Expressing the attachment to the Prophet in public, in congregation, in mass, to them is a bid'ah. Brothers and sisters in Islam, this is an Umawi attitude. Those who lived with Allah's Prophet and sacrificed with Allah's Prophet, if they were resurrected and saw and lived this reality today whereby the Prophet is more or less sidelined, they would be surprised. Why are Muslims who say that they follow the Prophet and quote his hadiths and his sunnah to such a degree that they eclipse the Qur'an itself, but when it comes to honoring the man, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, honoring the Prophet, when it comes to that, everyone is chilled. It's like there's no warm feelings that are expressed towards Allah's Prophet. All of this comes from the Arabian Peninsula and those who are ruling in the Arabian Peninsula. We can trace the effects of this all the way there because they have the money. When they have the money, they can do these types of things. They can impose their Umawi attitude throughout all of the syndicate of centers and institutions that they have around the world and we wind up the 12th of Rabi'a al-Awwal comes and goes and not many people are aware of its significance these people in the Arabian Peninsula Many times Muslims, they understand the ayat of the Qur'an when it applies to individuals. They are not as healthy in their thoughts to understand them when they apply to communities or societies. These Arabians who carry with them the Umawi dislike of the Prophet and the Prophet's family, they were living in scarcity 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. They were harmed by natural factors around them. Living from oasis to oasis on the sands of Arabia, nothing there, no petroleum, no wealth, nothing. 
And so what happens to a person when he feels that he's under duress in life, conditions of poverty, conditions of neglect, conditions of ignorance, backwardness, it's a fact of life. In these conditions, a man turns to God. The dua of people who are living in such conditions are more fervent than the dua of people who are living in ample plentiness. But what happens when they're no longer poor, now they are rich. When they are rich, even when they express a certain dua, there is no emotional depth to that dua. It's not there. There's an ayah in the Quran, in Surah Yunus. وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ Listen to this ayah and how it speaks to these very shallow Muslims. If man is impacted by harm, إذا مس الإنسان الضر دعانا لجنبه أو قاعدا أو قائما. Then he expresses dua in whichever condition he is in, static, moving, whatever condition he is in. فَلَمَّا كَشَفْنَا عَنْهُ ضُرَّهُ مَرَّ كَأَنْ لَمْ يَدْعُنَا إِلَىٰ ضُرٍ مَسَّةٍ But then when Allah is saying, when we relieve him of that harm or pressure or denial or threat, when we relieve him of that, he walks by as if nothing happened. مرة كأن لم يدعنا إلى ضر مسا. He walks by absent-mindedly as if he never called upon us to relieve him. كذلك زين للمسرفين ما كانوا يعملون. This is the way things appear to people of israf. See the people in the Arabian Peninsula now. They fit the order here. They fit the description. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is near to us. And like we said previously concerning some explanation about dua, Allah will respond in, the, in all of the ayat of the Qur'an. 
when the Prophet is asked a question by committed Muslims or by non-Muslims, they came to him and asked him questions. Some Muslims out of ignorance would ask him questions. They wanted clarification. Some non-Muslims in the Yahudi community would come and ask him questions to try to disprove him. And when the answer would come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it would say, Qul. Yas'alunaka anir ruh, qulir ruhu min amri rabbi. They ask you about the ruh, say to them, a ruh is an affair belonging to my sustainer, meaning you're not going to know anything about it. Yas'alunaka anil ahilla. And they will ask you concerning the lunar phases. Say, O Muhammad, to them, it is a timetable for people and their hajj, etc. You follow, but then an ayah says, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ if my subjects, if my juniors ask you about me, Allah didn't say, فَقُلْ or قُلْ, say to them. He said, فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ I am near. أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَانِ I will respond to he who invokes me, provided that he does so. This fervent emotional attachment to Allah and his Prophet is absent. And it appears on occasions like this. You come to these fossilized Muslims say to them can't we honor the Prophet have a program oh this is bid'ah what are you talking about they'll tell you this is bid'ah dua makes you feel you are weak that's who we are people who think they have power are fooling themselves Power belongs to Allah and our dua to Allah places us in the right position where we belong vis-a-vis Allah. There's a hadith Qudsi in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَنْ شَغَلَهُ ذِكْرِي عَنْ مَسْأَلَتِي أَعْطَيْتُهُ خَيْرًا مِمَّا أُعْطِي السَّائِلِينَ Whoever is preoccupied with an awareness of me, I will give him, meaning you're, pre- you're so preoccupied with the mindfulness of Allah that you don't ask him. Allah is saying, if that's the case, I will give such a person more than those who ask me. Try to run that by the fossilized Muslims. 
And they'll ask you, where'd you get that from? Go, tell them, go to a Tirmidhi and read what's supposed to be your source of knowledge. And this ayah in Surah Yunus once again, وَلَوْ يُعَجِّلُوا اللَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ الشَّرَّ اسْتَعْجَالَهُمْ بِالْخَيْرِ لَقُضِيَ إِلَيْهِمْ أَجَلُهُمْ If Allah was to respond, as per your requests, you not knowing what is better for you in the long run, wanting immediate results in the short run, if Allah was to respond to you, life would have been over. Life as we live it would have been finished. And the Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, says, الدُّعَاءُ مُخُّ الْعِبَادَةِ Dua is the core of conformity to Allah. And for those who belittle Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala those who are not conscious of Allah subhanahu even though they mention his name saying verbalizing something doesn't mean that there's a consciousness of it these types when they are in danger they think they're going to die within a couple of minutes. Their true nature speaks out and seeks Allah in those moments of despair, those moments of danger. Because a person may lie to anyone, but a person does not lie to himself. And that moment of truth brings out the fact and the reality of such people and these moments will approach individuals and they will approach power centers but it will be too late as was demonstrated by the pharaoh when he wanted to express his regret and his repentance when it was too late and this is what will be happening to these creatures in the Arabian Peninsula. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم أدعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى Dear brothers and sisters committed Muslims We've been now watching I hope our minds are concentrated on what is happening in the birthland of Islam, in the birthplace of the Prophet. There's been a roundup of individuals belonging to the elite of that Arabian society. 
and they've been suspected by those who have the military there of financial irregularities laundering money cheating on the revenues etc etc we have recently in the news been told that the prime contender for the monarchy who is the cousin of the current son of the king Mitab the son of the late king Abdullah has been released some news items say he was released because he agreed to pay about a billion dollars for his freedom then that was followed by other news items saying no he was released because he's suffering from poor health and the inference here is they're afraid that if he dies under detention there may may be a major upheaval in the kingdom al-walid ibn talal another cousin who's under hotel arrest plush hotel arrest this person does not want to concede so far this is what we are being told and this is what happens among a family of criminals this person is willing to fight his case legally and in the media until the bitter end and subhanallah as these developments begin to take on the passage of time a moroccan the cousin of the king of morocco listen to this the cousin of the king of morocco ibn am paternal cousin says he's willing to support al-walid ibn talal and it turns out we haven't and yours sincerely here has been following the events in the arabian peninsula for quite some time now i've never came across this piece of information but it, the news now, because of the pressure that is cooking the royal family, it turns out the paternal cousin of the king of Morocco is the maternal cousin of Al-Walid ibn Talal. And he said he's willing to go and do anything that can be done to have his cousin freed another one of these pieces of information that is surfacing in our critical time the ex-president of Yemen Ali Abdullah Saleh came out with a piece of information 
in which he disclosed that when King Faisal, back in the 1960s, early 60s and mid 60s, when he was the king of Saudi Arabia, sent a message to President Johnson in Washington saying to him that the the Egyptians at that time, the Egyptian army was involved in a civil war in Yemen. And the Saudis were on one side and the Egyptians were on the other side in the internal strife in Yemen in the 1960s. So in that context, King Faisal sends a message, a correspondence, to the President of the United States, President Johnson, in 1966, telling him the way, the only way the Egyptians are going to leave Yemen is if the Israelis occupy Gaza, the Sinai Peninsula, and the West Bank. And that was Faisal who was considered to be the cleanest among them. And look at this correspondence, if this information is true. Look what they say and what they do behind closed doors, so to speak. So he wanted, Faisal of Arabia wanted the Israelis to occupy Gaza, Sina, and the Zifa al-Gharbiya, the West Bank, so they can be relieved of this drainage in Yemen, draining his armed forces. These rulers now in Arabia are putting together another alliance to combat terrorism and violence. The terrorism and the violence that they themselves sponsored and financed now they want to put together an alliance of Muslim countries against it. And in the lineup, of course, excluded from that alliance, Syria, Iraq, Iran. That's understood understood. But now they are upset why Algeria did not join that alliance. There's there's going to be more upsets coming. Recently, there's a world-class or world chess championship that's going to be held in Saudi Arabia. And there are six or seven Israelis who are applying for visas to go and participate in that chess championship. Two females and the others males. They're in the process now of obtaining their visas to participate in that. We want the Muslims to begin to open their eyes and see the real world, not the Hollywood world. Then, in the past week or two, an Israeli Zionist goes to Al-Haram Al-Nabawi, to the Masjid of the Prophet in Al-Madinah, and he has selfies taken with his Saudi buddy inside Al-Haram Al-Nabawi. Couldn't he choose another time of year? This is how far, how far they are going. The 
general chairman of the Saud, this is another news item, the general chairman of the Saudi Central Bank said, Al-Fasadu Tajawaz Al-Had, these are his words, corruption has gone beyond any limitation or every limitation, meaning corruption is rampant in the kingdom. A testimony from one of them. There are two personalities that give the khutbah in Al-Masjid Al-Haram in Mecca very frequently. It's been a few months now with the exception of today. One of them appeared today to give the khutbah in Mecca. These two were characteristically absent for a period of four months. One of them is As-Sudais, the one who gave that statement back in September about the king of Arabia and the president of America being the two most important personalities that are paving the way of a modernistic future or something to that effect. In the meantime, he hasn't appeared giving the khutbah in Mecca. The other one is called Ash-Shuraim, Saud Ash-Shuraim. Same thing, except for today. He gave the khutbah today. What is going on inside that pressure cooking kingdom? When Islamic scholars disappear, other Islamic scholars are brought to the camera on occasions to make statements. Why are they absent at times and then they appear at other times? The khutbah that was given today for your information in Mecca avoided all references to any ideological or political issue. They used to end their issue, their khutbahs, with a few statements about the Zionists and Yahud the Palestinians and Muslims in dire straits, just at the end, a few statements or a few sentences. Today's khutbah was void of any of that. Seems like they are getting instructions about how to give the khutbah. Are these independent Islamic scholars or are they Umawi? scholars they take the cue from those who are in power there are two saudi officials this also in the course of the past week or so two saudi officials let me tell you who they are one of them his name is muhammad al-isa he previously was the minister of justice in the kingdom and he was a major consultant to the king and today his position is the chairman of the islamic university in mecca the other official his name is khalid al-anqari 
He is the Saudi ambassador to France. And previously, he was the Saudi Minister of Higher Education. What did they do? Why are we mentioning these two officials? Because they went and they met in France. They went to synagogues and they met major rabbis. There's nothing wrong with that on the face of it. We have no problems meeting rabbis, going to synagogues. No Muslim should have any problem with that. But when it comes in an atmosphere of capitulation, as is the case now, then we have serious problems with that. Invited, two hours they spend, they break bread together, they discuss issues, and then the rabbis express their anticipation of going and visiting in the Arabian Peninsula. Well, who do they want to visit? Where do they want to go? They want to go to Khaybar. They want to go to Al Medina. They want to go to Tayma. Can they tell us? Where do they want to go? And for what reason? What's on their mind? We say this not in a vacuum. We say this when an ex Israeli minister of war they call themselves minister of defense minister of war name is Moshe Ya'alon he brags at the same time the Saudis are brown nosing with the Zionist Israelis this Zionist war criminal he brags and he says I've killed more Palestinians and more Arabs than any other Israeli. What do you say to that, you Saudi officials, who right now are entering into a very dangerous relationship with the enemy of Allah, the enemy of committed Muslims, and the enemy, I dare say, of humanity? What do you say to that? Many Palestinians and Arabs were under the impression that Ehud Barak killed more. But this person is setting the record straight now. He's saying he did more than the other. And then there's another general in the Israeli colonialist army. Rirshon Hakohin, that's his name, if you want it. He says he has the mastermind of the military. These are not his words, I'm just expressing it in a language that could be understood. The mastermind of the military victories in Iraq, in Syria, against the terrorists that were financed and that were sponsored by the Zionists and the, and the Israelis and the imperialists. This general says that that mastermind now is on an Israeli assassination list. And I think you know who the mastermind is. I need not mention him in the khutbah.
If you have any questions, you can ask me after the khutbah. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ajtinaba wa la taj'alhum ultabisan alayna wa ja'alna lilmuttaqina imama Rabbana la tu'akhithna in nasina aw akhta'na Rabbana wa la tahmil alayna israr كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد اللهم بارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله